0: Hey, everyone. This is your host, Jake Hirschman. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast. We are excited to bring you Suja Organic as our sponsor for today's episode. If you go to shop.sujajuice.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll be able to receive 15% off their packages. Excited to have Suja on board, and thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to today's episode on life in the front office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and this is part of the next step partners partnership series. Excited to be here with Matt Hill. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his uh, industry experience related to the agency side, the league side and the brand side and um, Matt's had a tremendous uh, stint in New York. We'll talk a little bit about what it's like to live in New York for 20 plus years. And uh, nonetheless, Matt, welcome to the podcast.
1: Yeah, Jake, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, I uh, am a fan and admirer of, of the podcast, listen to a lot of the episodes, so uh, excited to be here with you.
0: Fantastic. And, and I think you know, one of the things we, we point out um, about each individual's career path as they go along their journey, you've kind of had uh, a, a rhythm to you know, what you've done and what you've been able to accomplish by switching gears a little bit throughout your path. Um, but you started at Columbia as a, as a student athlete on the soccer team, and that certainly had to have played a little bit of a role of setting a foundation for, um, you know, just the kind of the intangibles, right? The, the, the soft skills that um, you've kind of taken with, you know, throughout your journey. Talk a little bit about where you started and kind of what your approach has been to that gradual growth and um, path for your journey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I uh, went to Columbia University for my undergraduate education. Um, and I also played on the Columbia soccer team was captain of the team my, my senior year. And that experience as a whole, just an institution, um, the quality of, of, of Columbia and, and um, playing a, a team sport at the collegiate level and the relationships that I built through that. Um, will last a lifetime, um, and you know some of those key takeaways, particularly from being a student athlete, were just the experience you get in, in leadership and, and teamwork, uh, sportsmanship, time management. Certainly, when you think about all of the, the demands of of being a student first and foremost, but then piling on top of that, thirty plus hours of Training and practice and games. Um, so, you definitely need to know how to, or, or you quickly learn how to juggle a lot of uh, responsibilities and then how to delegate uh, those responsibilities um, is also really critical. But I, um, you know, I, I had an amazing experience. Um, you know, my, my teammates and, and classmates are still among my uh, closest friends, and it's always great to, to reconnect with them. Um, But I was a history major, so to your point, a lot of the the soft skills and more qualitative skills, um, I wanted to get into sports journalism. Uh, I come from a family of of writers and editors, so I felt like that was my path, and I I wrote for the Columbia Spectator while I was there. And while I did not win an Ivy League championship in soccer, I did cover the uh, men's Ivy League champion tennis team uh, two seasons, so... Um, had a lot of fun doing that and, and felt like that was going to hopefully be a launching pad to a career in sports journalism. Um, but ultimately, after maybe six to eight months of trying my hand at, at writing and editing after school, um, I had an opportunity that was too good to pass up to join the, uh, the NFL and its PR group. And I'm sure we'll get to that as we delve into uh, my career journey a bit more. But, you know, the foundation that Columbia uh, really laid for me um, both academically and through uh, my experience as a student athlete, um, I think uh, had a lot to do with kind of setting the stage for, for my growth professionally.
0: Let's talk about the, you mentioned a point where you said, you know, the journalism was in the family background and that's kind of where you got the idea from. And sometimes people don't have that to lean on. Right, That's not mm-hmm. always the, oh, well, my parents do this, so I'm going to go become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever the case might be. Yeah, And some also look at it in a different perspective of, well, this is what my parents do. I don't want anything to do with that. Right, I want to do something right. different. So talk a little bit about kind of how you did see that value in, in doing what maybe that has been in your family, but then also kind of quickly realizing, okay, I could go a different route as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know it's interesting because I I totally agree. My dad was was a lawyer, public interest lawyer in in uh, in Washington D.C. and um, that was never really a path that appealed to me. You know I think I learned so much from my dad and the values that he that he bestowed upon me. But um, but becoming a lawyer just was never uh, really in the cards. Now my mom was a writer and editor for um, an organization called the Guttmacher Institute, which focused on women's reproductive health. And um, you know, that, that wasn't a subject matter that was necessarily one that I was going to follow, but, but she and her, her father, my grandfather, um, was a longtime writer, um, covered the White House for the New York Herald Tribune and then the Los Angeles Times uh, across four different presidencies, wrote uh, 10 plus books. Uh, and I think I really got my love of writing from him uh but also just being a um a young sports fan growing up reading the Washington Post sports section every morning you know this was the heyday of uh, the Washington football team um and just you know reading Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon's columns you know that's that's who I wanted to be that's what I wanted to do and uh you know my experience at, at Columbia writing for the Spectator allowed me to channel that a little bit um but there's no question that the influence from my, my mom and grandfather and you know, despite all of the red ink that I would find on my term papers when I allowed my mom to to edit them for me in high school and how that drove me nuts. But it made me a, a much better writer. Um, and that's something that I, I definitely saw as, as my career path. Um, coming out of college, though, I think that that was an industry that was certainly in a period of transition and the idea of going and covering high school sports for some small newspaper in the middle of nowhere, um, when I had an opportunity to join the NFL front office or league office, um, it was one that, uh, you know, quickly uh, disappeared and, and um, started to follow down more of a path of PR and communications. But I think that, that experience early on in journalism and learning how to write um, was, was really critical to my career development.
0: You know, you look at the, the path of even one of our hosts, Fred Claire, who came from the PR journalism world, um, many, you know, successful leaders from the past or, and even now, you know, have, have risen up through those PR and journalism ranks, even though they end mm-hmm. up on, you know, the sales side or whatever the case might be. Um, you ended up on the business development side post the PR comms, you know, part of your journey to where. I would love to ask, what about writing has helped you in the sales world?
1: Yeah, well, I think it goes beyond just writing to to communicating more broadly. Um, you know, the the skill of of, of writing is, uh, I think, very important when it comes to sales because so much of the early stages of the sales process are involves writing emails and 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 outreach to uh in often cases, cold leads. Um, so how do you get them hooked? what's what is it in your in your short and succinct email or note that that gets them to return your call or or uh, or respond to your email? Um, in addition, you know you're writing pitch decks and, and you're trying to be as as tight uh, in your delivery and storytelling of of what the the sponsorship opportunity entails. Um, so there was a lot of of writing that would go into that process, so I think that that definitely served me well. But communications, more broadly, um, I, I think, is certainly a critical component to uh, a successful salesperson. Because you need to be comfortable getting up in front of a group of people and delivering a presentation, and um, you know, listening becomes so critical to that as well, um, and just being able to respond directly to. The questions or concerns you may hear from the outside of the table and, and really understand their goals and objectives. So I think it's the entire process of communications, written, oral communications, listening um, that my experience, both as a struggling journalist early on and then within the NFL PR and communications group for really the first five years of my career, um, you know, that, that really provided that foundation that carried through into my business development experience, but really everything I've done uh, from that day forward.
0: Well, and we'll get to this in a little bit in terms of the internal versus external networking and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, you develop relationships with people at work, your boss, your colleagues, et cetera. And, and once you have those relationships, it's a lot easier to communicate with them. But um, in the sales world where you are, to your point, reaching out cold, you may not even know the person Um and even let's say at an agency where you maybe are working with a ton of different constituents, even people on the ground that you, again, you don't have those relationships with. So you have to be able to get your point across to many different um, people in a way that's understood by many different people. Mm -hmm. So um, Mm -hmm. as you kind of went through your, your different experiences at the NFL and MLS and, and then GMR um, what was the biggest difference in what you learned along the way in terms of approach from a communication standpoint to approach a conversation the right way so that it's understood in the context in which you want it to be?
1: Yeah, so I mean, there are obviously nuances to to selling, and I think the listening piece was probably what took me the longest time to to really master. If you, if I can even say that I've, I've mastered it to this point, but the importance of, of listening and, and really understanding um, where the party on the other side of the table is coming from. But I think, um, you know, so much of my experience early on in my career, communications component aside, but building relationships and learning how to navigate an organization as large and, and complex as the NFL, um, you know, really served me well. And, and um you know, it upon me just how important relationships are in this industry, but in business in general. I think relationships are, are our most valuable currency. I've always prided myself in the relationships I've developed at every stage of my life and in my career. And um, you know, the importance of continuing to foster and nurture and invest time in those relationships uh, is something that's not been lost on me. And um, so, you know, from my early days In the NFL corporate communications group where I was working hand in hand with um, the sponsorship and events and licensing and player development groups Um, and, you know, maintaining those relationships over the years to the point where I left the NFL in 2007, um, go back to business school, and I then had a stint at uh, Major League Soccer for three years selling sponsorships. When I came back to the NFL in 2012 as director of business development in the sponsorship group, many of those relationships uh, were still intact. I had I, stayed in touch with many of those people and was able to, to come in and, and um, still have a, a solid foundation of, of relationships within the organization that had changed significantly in five years. Um, you know, it was it was important to have those in place. And you know, one thing that I um, stress to anybody. Who's, who's coming up in this industry and um, seeking advice on, on how to um, you know, be successful and, and make your mark and crack in, uh, in some cases, uh, I come back to the importance of relationships and, and uh, the investment that you need to make in your network uh, because you're only as good at that network. And I think you know, the last year has really proven that out. One of the things that has been a silver lining to me in the time of COVID has been the opportunity it's afforded us, and in, in some cases, the necessity of reconnecting with people who you may not have um, spoken with or seen in, in years, uh, but now in this virtual world where we're no longer subject just to, um, you know, the, the office that we sit in or the city that we live in, um, but we can connect with anybody at any time through Zoom or, or any other uh, video conferencing technology, um, I've taken a lot of time to reconnect with people. And um, you know that, that has been a, a real joy. Um, but those are the relationships that will serve you throughout your career. And uh, I think it's, it's really critical that um, we don't lose sight of that and that we continue to uh, make sure that we're always building that network and building those relationships each day. You
0: mentioned navigating kind of the internal politics of an organization. And, um, you know, depending on the place you go and work at, right, the, the size and the scope and the scale can be different um, depending on not only the organization, but then also the department that you're in, right? Because mm-hmm. you may be in a really large organization, but a really small department. And then, you know, right. you, you don't have as many, um, you know, internal waters to navigate as opposed to if you're part of a big department. Um, you know, that that has exposure to a lot of different people, you may have more. And so as you've been able to experience multiple leagues, an agency where you're working with different constituents that are even external, what's the biggest difference between navigating politics internally versus navigating politics externally?
1: Yeah, good question. And a lot of that has to do with sort of the the phase of your career that you're in as well. So think about my early days in the NFL PR communications group best in the business. If you ask me under the leadership of Joe Brown and Greg Aiello, Brian McCarthy, um, you know, learn from, learn from some of the best, but I was, I was a PR assistant, you know, and then a coordinator. So I was still pretty low on the totem pole and just, um, in some cases, uh, trying, trying to keep out of sight, out of mind, but, um, you know, so you're not exposed to it as much at those levels of an organization as you are as when you start to, to rise up the ranks. Um, the NFL was certainly a big business in 2002 when I joined, and it has become an even bigger business uh, today. Um, so transitioning from the NFL pre-business school to Major League Soccer in 2009, when I graduated business school, um, you know, Major League Soccer at the time was... Uh, 15 years old thereabouts and so still very young and and um, you know there was a lot um, I guess there was less infrastructure certainly than than what I experienced at the NFL but there was a group of people that were just so passionate about the growth of the sport of soccer and that was really enjoyable and you know that's one of the things that I I um, that the probably struck me most from my time there is everybody could sort of bond together over this common desire to to grow the sport and to turn MLS into one of the, you know, big five properties. Um, and so sure. I mean, any organization you'll have um, some politics to navigate, but that was pretty limited during my time at MLS as that business has grown. I'm sure <laughs> dynamics have changed a little bit there, but uh, I, I didn't find myself getting caught up in, in much of that during my time at the league and, and at Soccer United Marketing. Um you know, coming back to the NFL in 2012 and, and you know, to your point, in, in a more senior role and in a revenue generating capacity, I mean, one you're exposed to a lot more, and two, there's certainly more pressure when you're in sales than when you're in communications. Um, And so, you know, you, you notice it a bit more, as I mentioned before, the relationships that I had managed to keep intact from my first uh, tour at the NFL, I think served me well. And, um, and I really committed to continuing to build relationships and just understanding some of the internal dynamics, which, which groups collaborated well together, you know, where was there some friction? Where could I potentially help to, uh, solve for, for any challenges that existed and, um, you know, any any of these big sponsorship deals involve so many stakeholders, uh, generally from across a variety of different groups. So you know, you need to get the buy in from uh, a lot of key people, and that requires uh, building relationships and 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 building trust with people, so that you know they they believe in what you are doing and and that you have their best interests in mind and and in heart at heart and. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, again, very different from my first uh, stint with the NFL, very different from MLS, but a great learning experience and, and a great organization. And then to spend six years at GMR Marketing, um, which is such a values and, and culture and people driven organization, was, um, was was really refreshing. And uh, you know, my, my situation was a bit unique because I wasn't sitting in the headquarters in New Berlin, Wisconsin, nor was I really in one of the major hub offices. We uh, were were building the New York office, but um, it was, I guess it was a 30-person office when I first started, but for the majority of my time, there was more in the range of 10 to 15 people, and so you sort of create your own culture in that regard. Obviously, you take cues from the mothership, and I got back to the Milwaukee area frequently, and uh, made sure i was investing in relationships there whether it was during my my visits or um, just through phone calls and video conferences but um, you know the the communications and navigating the politics you know that that didn't really exist because we had our own little organization that we were we were building in new york and al'beit we're part of the omnicom system so any of these major holding companies have a fair amount of, of politics to navigate but Uh, I think generally speaking from the standpoint of of GMR itself, um, we we had a great group, and and GMR continues to be a great organization that um, really does put its people first, and I think that uh, goes a long ways towards ensuring that there is very limited drama and and politics, and that's, that's one of the great things about that organization.
0: You know, you mentioned the advice you'd give to people that are kind of moving their way through the industry and, and you know, for whether it's that entry-level role into the managerial one, et cetera. And as you look at the, you know, for lack of better terms, you had some big logos on the resume, right? And, um, mm. you know, you don't have to have the big logo in order to have great experience or or vice versa, or it's okay to go to an agency instead of, you know, a team or a league, right? And to understand that there's gonna be politics everywhere you go, they're just different. And mm-hmm. they're different in size, they're different in scale, they're different in magnitude. Um, when you think about advice to those who are navigating those waters of, you know, their next move or um, from managerialship to leadership and vice versa, you know, what advice do you give to them in, in that, um, you gotta figure out through your internal network and your external network, what some of those politics might be so you're aware of what culture you're walking into. That's
1: absolutely right. Yeah, I think anytime you're going into a, a new opportunity or exploring a new opportunity, um, while it's, it's uh, particularly important to know what the role and, and its responsibilities are and how you will be evaluated against that role, uh, I think it's just as critical to understand what the culture of the organization is um, you know, the individual you're reporting to um, you know, what, what do, do he or she have in mind for your career and how much of a champion will they be in helping you grow and develop. Um, and I, I think you're right. I mean, there is something about working for a big brand, uh, a recognizable logo that people get excited about and, and um you know it's it's valuable experience if if you can find that right opportunity at, at one of those brands. But um, you know people sometimes get drunk off of those logos and and the power of the logo behind them um, and and also you know begin to identify or that becomes such a core part of their identity that they um, lose sight of the fact that there are other great opportunities out there that might not be at as as well-known a brand or, or uh, you know, as big a company, um, but where you can have a great deal of success, particularly if you're coming from one of those big logos and have that experience that is uh, transferable into, into a new role. So um, yeah, so I, I think uh, there is, there is so much to be said, particularly when I'm talking to the young people coming up in the industry who you know, have their sights set on an NFL or a, you know, a New York Yankees or, you know one of these big sports organizations that is so recognizable and um has a great deal of of appeal uh, but those aren't one those those opportunities are few and far between and two there's probably a greater likelihood of going to work for the brooklyn cyclones or you know new york road runners and getting much more hands-on relevant experience that you can then use down the road to crack in at an NFL or a New York Yankees than trying to get one of those entry level positions, say right out of school. And, you know, I, I think the more experience you can get at an organization, regardless of its size or its name recognition, that can serve you throughout your career that that's far more valuable experience in my opinion, than just having a logo or a couple of logos on, on your resume. Um, so, you know, it's easy to say, um, don't get starstruck by the likes of uh, of an NFL and NBA or whatever the case may be. Nonetheless, everyone's still going to want to buy for those positions and, and understandably so. Um, but I really do think it's worth looking at, other opportunities that might not be as high profile, but where you can gain some really great experience and build your network from the ground up um, before potentially moving on to one of those bigger opportunities.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And and one of the last things that we'll touch on is, you know, to not be afraid to step away from it. And you know, you went to grad school, right? And so it was one of those. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to get out of the industry. I'm going to go back to school, and that's not. Typically, and look, I, I took the path of going straight from undergrad to graduate school, and so I have a different experience than you in terms yeah. of, you know, getting out of the industry, going back to school, and then finding your way back in. Um, talk, talk to us a little bit about that approach and, and maybe what you learned from it, good or bad.
1: Yeah, sure. So I, I had been out of, uh, I guess I was about six years removed from undergrad. I'd been five years in the NFL PR communications group. Uh, I, I loved my experience there, but I had to decide I didn't want to stay down the PR track. Um, and I had looked at opportunities to make a transition within the NFL league office into sponsorship or marketing or, or digital. Um, and it just wasn't the right fit at the time. Um, so, you know, I decided that uh, since I had developed uh, a lot of the soft skills in writing, communications, PR, but had never really uh, developed a lot of those more quantitative skills. That going back to business school was the right decision for me. As I mentioned before, I had gotten a lot of exposure to the business side of sports in my corporate communications role at the NFL. And so I wanted to, in all likelihood, transition into a business role in sports, but I was also very open to looking at industries outside of sports. And uh, so that's what. Led me to go back to get my MBA, and I returned to to Columbia, my alma mater, which was a great experience. And you know, it is not a decision um, that's right for everybody. And I have that conversation with a lot of people who are faced with a similar uh, decision about whether to go back to school or or continue down a certain career path. Um, it's a it's a significant investment. Obviously, the cost associated with uh, going back to school, but also opportunity cost of of two years of your career that you are um, putting on hold. Um, For me, I think it was absolutely the right decision. Uh, It allowed me to shore up some of those uh, more quantitative skills and and really um, build and strengthen my leadership and management skills. Uh, It gave me exposure to a wide range of career opportunities outside of sports. Ultimately, I decided that sports really is where I wanted to remain. And, um, and so, you know, coming out of business school, I was able to, to land a, a business development sales role at, at major league soccer. Um, and I don't think that I would have been able to make that transition into sales, if not for business school. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it really comes down to that cost benefit analysis for any individual. and, Um, you need to have a pretty good sense of what you want to do once you get your MBA because there's no no sense in spending 200,000 plus dollars to go back for two years of of business school without any real vision for Um, that's usually one of the the um, application essay questions is sort of what do you what do you plan to do with your MBA and I think it's important to have a a well-thought-out response to that so uh, it was the right decision for me at the time, and the network that you you uh, build in, in business school is you know, second to none. Those are going to be some of the future business leaders of the world, and uh, certainly folks that I I stay in close touch with today. Um, so that's another uh, value, certainly, of of going back to business school. But um, it is a tough decision, and it's got to be the right the right time for you in your career. And um, there are a number of variables that are. Uh, very specific to each individual. So I think uh, I would never make a blanket statement that, hey, you got to go back and get your MBA. It's certainly something worth evaluating, uh, but it really comes down to where you are in your career and where can you get to without an MBA versus where will that degree help take your career?
0: Well, and sometimes it just pays off, you know, later down the road when you don't expect it to, right? Or, yeah, yeah, know, someone, someone, you know, who's a Columbia MBA grad, right, you know, 10 years from now, right, can can make an impact in your life. So you never know where some of those relationships Mm -hmm. can lead. And, um, but as you mentioned, leaning in with the right intention and understanding what that intention is, I think is critically important. So Matt, uh, quick rapid fire to wrap up, um, best part about living in New York?
1: Oh man, uh, best part about living in New York. I'm not sure it still applies now in a <laughs> COVID world, but I um I love the energy of the city. Uh, I love getting on the subway, even <laughs> in the most packed of subway cars. I mean, I'd always love that, but but you know, headphones on, listen to a podcast or, or um whatever playlist I might have on and, and and just um you know feeling that energy from uh, from everybody else. And, you know, we're all sort of focused on where we're going, but um, it is such a, a beautiful melting pot of, of people and cultures and backgrounds all thrown together. And um, I, I really feed off of that energy and, and it's lacking right now, no question about it, but it's, it'll be back. I, I'm a firm believer that New York and, and every major U.S. city will, will rebound, but that's, uh, that's my favorite part about New York is, is the people and the energy
0: if you're, if you're walking down the street, are you getting a hot dog from the cart or a soft pretzel?
1: Wow. I've seen too much, uh, about where those hot dogs come from that. I, I generally don't trust the New York city hot dog carts, but I'll eat a soft pretzel. I You know,
0: you, you spend some time in the Midwest, right? Going back and forth a little bit with GMR, um, better pizza, New York or Chicago.
1: I'm going to have to say New York. I will be honest though, that I haven't sampled enough Chicago pizza. I do like deep dish pizza, but New York's got the best pizza in the world.
0: If you could have played any position in soccer that you didn't, what would it have been?
1: Uh, it a striker. You know, I, my, my soccer career from the youth level to college, I, progressed backwards sort of every phase of my career. I started as a, as a goal scorer forward. I, I gradually became a midfielder by junior high school. I was a defender and I didn't actually become a goalkeeper until I was probably, I was, I guess, switching on and off in goal for a half in the field for a half when I was 13, 12 or 13. And it wasn't until probably 13 or 14 that I fully adopted the position but a goalkeeper sees all angles of the field. And so we fancy ourselves as lethal strikers. So that was one thing I loved about, you know, practices um, midweek where we could go out and play a little bit with our feet. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think, I think I could have been a pretty good striker if I'd stuck with it.
0: All right, so since you were a goalie, we're going way back here. Uh, the Big Green, yeah. great movie. Who were you seeing <laughs> in the costumes as they approached you?
1: <laughs> wait i gotta i gotta refresh my memory on the big green i think i just watched it with my son a, a few months ago um that's with the same kid from the sandlot right yep yep exactly exactly so, uh, but i'm i'm blanking on the costume part
0: well so you know they could they were knights they were they were uh pirates they had all sorts of different uh, costumes because he was scared you know of, of them kicking the ball into the net so <laughs> wondering if you had any of those
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe clowns (laughs) clowns, you know, but not, not, not the scary killer clowns, just like the the silly kid's birthday party clowns. (laughs) There
0: you go. There you go.
1: Um,
0: Last one for you. You know, you, if, if you you can think about any um, brand that's out there um, that was kind of just unique to work with different story um, a little bit different from just your, your typical big brand. Uh, what was one brand that you maybe worked with or or would love to work with um, that has a unique story to it?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will say uh, the brand I was working most closely with just before uh, I departed GMR was was Oikos, Greek yogurt, one of the part of the known family of brands, NFL league sponsor. And um, you know, I, I, I just really appreciated the level of creativity and, um, and humor um, that they applied to their ad campaigns. And you may have seen some of the recent ones. There was um, the Yo Glutes campaign that ran during the, uh, I guess, Super Bowl 54 a year ago uh, to the tune of, of Bruno Mars's Bubble Butt song. And then, which is not something you would expect from a yogurt brand necessarily. And, uh, you know, this past season, they partnered with Saquon Barkley and had a couple of really funny sort of tongue-in-cheek campaigns. Uh, like, you know, you got to carry all your grocery bags in one trip and different sort of feats of strength. And I think the spot that ran uh, during the Super Bowl last night was all about your ugly face and sort of showing that exertion, whether you're lifting weights or or, you know, running those, uh, final mile. Um, so I, have I've become a big fan, certainly the work that they're doing, and I'll be excited to see, uh, sort of where, where Danone as a whole goes with its, its sponsorship portfolio in, in the years ahead, uh, cause they've got some, some great brands there. And, um, you know, now it's all about finding the right fit in terms of aligning each of those brands, uh, against a, a single or, or a handful of properties.
0: No, that's great. gotta love your Greek yogurt. So Matt, that's right. Really... I got a
1: refrigerator full of it.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> gotta support. Uh, Matt, really <laughs> appreciate uh, your time, your insights, thoughts, perspectives. Uh, appreciate you being part of this next up uh, partnership series and certainly look forward to having you on in the future.
1: Thanks, Jake. Really appreciate you having me and um, I will continue to be an avid listener, but uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks again for listening to the Life in the Front
0: Office podcast. Remember, today's episode was brought to you by Suja Organic. If you go to shop.sujajuice.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll be able to receive 15% off of their packages. Excited to have Suja on board for the month of April. And again, thanks for listening and stay tuned for next episode.